Well, good morning once again. So good to be in the house of the Lord. There is such a sweet presence in this place today. Amen. Well, I just want to say thanks again for being with us today, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Thank you for taking the time to be here today. Last week, we began a brand new series titled At the Table. And as we opened up this series, we agreed that there is something special about gathering over a meal. And we talked about it didn't matter if it was a, a formal dining room table, a, a kitchen table, you know, one of those country tables or one of those folding tables that we often gather around in here. The table didn't matter. The food didn't really even matter so much. What mattered was the time that was spent around the table. Well, we're 2,000 years removed from Jesus dinnertime conversations, but yet we are here today, 2,000 years later, still talking about those dinner conversations. Last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus made room at the table, room for tax collectors and room for sinners. He made room around the table because it gave opportunity for ministry. His tables weren't probably the formal dining room tables that we are used to or we think about when we think about a table. Sometimes his table was actually a campfire where they would gather around a campfire. Who doesn't love a campfire meal, right? Hey, if you were with us when we were camping back in September, you'll know we gathered around a campfire, we cooked around a campfire, we told stories around a campfire. We even, yes, Juan, we even had a pirate telling stories of buried treasure around a campfire. Today, I want to talk to you about a breakfast that Jesus shared over a campfire. And the treasure, I'm going to move on to that picture there because you all are distracted. <laughs> the treasure that Jesus unwrapped around that campfire in the conversation that was had is greater than any gold we could have dug up by the story that the pirate told us. Before we get there today, though, let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever needed a relationship to be restored? I know I have. I've had relationships over the years where, where I've needed to be the one who offered forgiveness. I've also had relationships over the years where I needed to be the one who was forgiven. I've had relationships that needed restored, but the most important relationship I ever needed restored was that relationship with the Father. At eight days old, my mother found me lying in a crib. Not that I was missing or whatever. I mean, you don't just kind of wander off at eight days old, right? She... she <laughs> That wording just wasn't right, was it? My mom found me, but she couldn't find me anywhere. And then she looked in the crib, and there I was, eight days old. No. So at eight days old, my mom finds me lying in a crib, um, unable to wake me up. So her and my dad, they took me to the little country hospital that I was born at. They, they examined me, and they basically told my parents, there's nothing we can do for him. There's, there's nothing. They said, you know what, you can, you can leave this little Northwest Ohio 
hospital and take him to the University of Michigan. Maybe there's something that they could do for him there. So my parents, they leave with me in the car. And on the way there, they stop at our little country church. South Woodbridge Pentecostal Church of God. They just happened to have a, a prayer meeting going on there that evening. So my parents stopped, and they didn't leave me in the car because they were afraid of some contagious disease I might give everybody. But they brought me into the church. The people didn't have masks on, believe it or not. They laid hands upon me, and they reached heaven for me. My parents took me on to the hospital where they were told later that day, he's got spinal meningitis, he will never leave this hospital alive. See, because care 50 years ago is not the same as care today. Five days later, I was home, healthy, and whole. I continued to attend that little country church for the next few years being taught the word of God, growing in relationship with Jesus. Then I went to church camp with that little country church where God called me in an altar as a child into ministry. Fast forward a few years. My parents had already been divorced for some time. We move away, no longer attending church, and as I was no longer communicating with the Father, at least on my end, my relationship that was once hot became distant. To no fault of him, but just when there is no communication, distance grows in relationship. And that's in any relationship, right? There has to be communication. So... Fast forward into my teen years, I am no longer serving the Lord, completely walked away. And without going down a rabbit trail of how bad I was or so that you can compare it to how bad you may have been or whatever, just know this, I was about as far away from God as a person could be. Fast forward a few more years, I'm married, and we decided we needed religion in our life to be a proper family. We joined the Catholic Church because they got religion down. We were very faithful, attended church every week, gave every week. We did all the religious things every week. But there was something missing. There was a relationship that I knew as a child that was no longer there. We went to church so we could mark it off our to-do list for the week so that we could say we're doing things right. Fast forward a couple more years. This is little more than 20 years ago now. On a Saturday before Easter, driving down the road alone in the car, and God speaks two words to me. It's time. That's it. Two words, and, and I'm not talking about when God speaks to you like you sense in your spirit or that you read in the word and he's speaking to you. I'm talking out loud, me and him in the car, it's time. And in that moment, I knew what it meant. It was, it's time to return to the relationship that you once had. It's time to come back to what you once knew. So we went 
to a new church on that Saturday or Sunday. It wasn't the um, first day or the seventh day of Venice. We went on Sunday to a new church. And I can remember, and I've, I've shared this before, but I can remember sitting in the back of that church on an Easter Sunday more than 20 years ago with a hope in my heart. Just a hope, just saying, if you would only take me back, would you just allow that pastor to say the words, if there are any here? If there are any here, because I'm ready to respond, but God, are you, are you ready to receive me back? Are you ready to restore this relationship? And I can remember, like it was yesterday, with tears streaming down my face, when he made that call to stand to my feet and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. What about you? Have you had relationships that needed restoring? Have you had family members that that have abandoned you or maybe you've abandoned them? Have you had friends that you were once so close with, but because of some offense, the only relationship you have with them now is confrontation? The fact is we've all had relationships that need to be restored. We all had to be restored with the Heavenly Father. But if we looked at our life honestly and we looked back over it, we would probably say that there are relationships in our life that either needed restored at one time or another or maybe still needs to be restored today. Well, I believe in John chapter 21, Jesus gives us a great example of relationship restored. So if you got your Bible, would you go ahead and open to John chapter 21? Our text this morning, it opens up with Peter along with some of the other disciples out fishing in a boat. But before we get there, you you need to understand what happened to lead us up to this point where they have gone off fishing. See, three years prior to this event that we read about today, Jesus was beginning his ministry, and, and Peter is out there fishing. And we're given the story in Matthew chapter 4. It says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they immediately left their nets and followed him. Peter spent the next three years of his life walking with Jesus. He was there as Jesus was ministering to people. He saw him heal the sick. He saw him heal his own mother-in-law. He he saw him cast out demons. He saw him offer forgiveness, and he saw him raise the dead. Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, to which he responded by jumping out of the boat and walking to Jesus on the water until he took his eyes off of him, at which time he began to sink. And you know what happened? Jesus reaches down and he picks him up. On another occasion, Peter, when asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? He responds this way in Matthew. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And Jesus goes on to say, And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now we know that Jesus' statement on this rock refers to what Peter had said, that Jesus was the Christ. But we also know that Peter means rock. And Jesus was also at this same time saying, I'm going to use you, Peter. I'm going to use you to help establish my church here on earth. Peter had seen just about everything as he walked with Jesus. He was part of the Last Supper when Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me. He was there in the garden when when Jesus said, all of you will abandon me. And Peter replies to him, and I'm paraphrasing here, he's like, not me, I'm not going to, I'm there with you till the end. And Jesus said, oh yeah, you will. He said, not only will you deny me, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Then after that, Jesus takes Peter along with the two others, and they go further in. The three that were closest to Jesus, they go on in further to pray a little longer. And and, and you know how the story goes. The guards come into the garden to arrest Jesus. And there in that moment, Peter draws his sword. He cuts off the ear of one of the guards. Jesus rebukes him. He heals the man. They take him away, and exactly what Jesus said would happen would happen. They all scatter out of fear. But Peter, he's not ready to scatter yet. He follows. He follows. And then he's asked, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I'm not. I don't even know him. And he begins to curse him. Three times, three times he denies him. Jesus is crucified and buried. The disciples, including Peter, go into hiding. On the third day, Jesus is raised from the dead. He begins to be seen by people, including the disciples who were behind locked doors. And a little over a week later is where our story picks up here in John 21. John 21 opens with Peter saying, I'm going fishing. Six other disciples say, man, I'm with you. I'm going fishing too. So they go all out all night, and it says they didn't catch a thing. And Jesus calls from the shoreline. They do not yet recognize that this is Jesus calling to them. He says, cast out to the other side. They do, and they haul in such, such a catch they cannot even contain it within the boat. Then, Jesus, then John Referring to himself here in his story that he is writing, John, the one that Jesus loves, says to Peter, that's Jesus. And, and, and Peter realizes it is Jesus. He jumps out of the boat again. This time he swims. He doesn't try to walk on water. He swims to the shore. And the others drag the nets behind the boat. They come in. They count the fish. It says there are 153 large fish. Now, we're not going to go down a rabbit trail of talking about what these 153 fish may or may not represent. That's not the point of the story here today that we're looking at. Just know this, there were a lot of fish. (laughs) 
We should cook them up. That's what Jesus said too. He said, bring me some of them fish. He's standing there next to the hot coals he had prepared, and he cooks the fish for them. He serves them breakfast. Think about this. The night Jesus was betrayed in the upper room, what's he model? Servanthood. He washes the disciples' feet. Here he is after he's resurrected from the dead. What does he do? Model servanthood again. He prepares the hot coals and he cooks fish for them. This is where we pick up our story in verse number 15. They're sharing a meal. Everyone is relaxed. That's what happens when we share a meal, isn't it? We talked about it. Masks come down. We get relaxed. And then after the meal, Jesus calls Peter over. Verse number 15 says this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He probably wasn't angry like I'm sounding here when he was saying it, but he's saying, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So they finished eating dinner. Jesus calls out to Peter. Notice he calls him by his full name here. You ever been called by your full name? Rachel sometimes calls me with my middle name. Todd Anthony? When someone calls you by your full name, they want your attention, don't they? So, so Peter is being called out here. Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah. And in that moment, Peter was reminded where he came from and who he was in Jesus as well. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus had already met with Peter privately. So we can assume from that that he's already dealt with that, that thing of denying him. We can, we can already assume that, that he's already offered forgiveness to Peter in that moment. But we also know this. Everyone knew about Peter's denial of Jesus. And if he was going to help lead this early church, there needed to be a public restoration of Peter. And so Jesus three times says to him, Peter, do you love me? See, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, that's all that matters. Love is all that matters. You can have every talent, every gift, everything going for you, but if you have not love, it is meaningless. And again, Jesus says three times, Peter, do you love me? So he's asking really Peter that same question. That, that Paul is stating. But notice the question. First, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't really know what these are. Could he be pointing at the fishing boats and the fishing net and saying, Peter, do you love me more than the life that you once knew? This is where I found you. You've gone back to what you knew. He could have been pointing to John, who was the one that Jesus loved, 
I've been saying, do you love me more than this one? Or he could have just been kind of making a broad general statement. Do you love me more than anything in life? Do you love me more than anything else? Whatever he was pointing to, he asks him, do you love me more? Do you agape me? Because that's the word right there that Jesus uses. This is a, a word that refers to the God kind of love. This is the same word that is used in John 3.16 where it says, God so loved the world, God so agape the world, that he gave his one and only. Peter replies with, yes, Lord, I love you. But instead of, yes, Lord, I agape, he says, yes, Lord, I phileo, meaning I love you like a brother. Jesus asks again, do you agape? And Peter replies again, yes, Lord, I phileo. I love you like a brother. Then Jesus, the third time, says, Peter, do you really phileo me? Do you really love me like a brother? And Peter says, Lord, you know it all. You know my heart. You see it all. You know everything. You know I phileo. You know I love you like a brother. All along with each of these, with each of these questions, restoration is taking place. With every question that comes along, Jesus is giving restoration to Peter. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Then feed my lambs. Take care of the ones who are young in the faith, who are new converts. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Then take care of my, tend to my sheep. In other words, take care of the flock. Disciple them. Lead them in the way that they should go. Shepherd them. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. So, so in these things, he's saying, listen, there are different people in different places. There are lambs and there are sheep. There are those who are new to the faith, new converts, and there are those who are more mature in their faith, and they're at different levels, and they need to be um, taught in different ways. And he's saying, give them instruction at the level that they are ready to receive. That's why we have age-specific ministry as well. All along in this conversation, Jesus is bringing Peter back into a restored relationship. He's saying, Simon, son of Jonah. He's grabbing not just the attention of Peter, but also all those who are around. I can promise you this. When someone calls out your first name, you aren't the only one who looks, or your whole name, first, middle, last. Everybody in the vicinity looks. What did he do? Peter failed publicly, therefore Jesus is restoring him publicly. He's making it clear that, that, that Peter is restored to a place of leadership and authority in this new church. All along the way, though, Jesus is introducing them to this new love, agape love. This love, according to Paul in Romans 5.5, 5, is only given by the Holy Spirit. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. So you can't have this kind of love without the Holy Spirit. We <laughs> can't have that God kind of love on our own. We 
hold on to things, don't we? We get mad and don't forgive in our, in our own flesh. It takes the Holy Spirit at work in us to have that agape kind of love that, that Peter is being called to by Jesus in this moment. See, phileo is a type of love that is tender. It comes from the heart. It has deep feelings, but it's towards those that you love, that are close to you. While agape love is a choice. It says, love no matter what. It's a love that will, be, that, that, that will not be pro- broken even if someone makes you angry. It's a love that will not be broken if somebody talks about you, insults you, hurts you. It's a love that says, no matter what, I will always seek the best for others. Agape love is a sacrificial love that says, I will lay down my life not only for my brother, but also for my enemy. It's a love that is only possible by the Holy Spirit of God. This is what Jesus is calling Peter into in this moment. Peter had denied Jesus, and Jesus is restoring him to something even greater than before. Notice a couple of things about this story. Peter, after denying Jesus, no doubt felt shame and regret. We don't know if he had given up on ministry at this point, and that's why he went off fishing, or he simply needed some food, and that's why he went off. But we know this. When people are feeling the weight of broken relationships, when they have the weight of shame and the weight of guilt upon them, they often will go back to what is comfortable to them. Even if that is something of the world, and no, I'm not saying fishing is worldly. Don't get me wrong here. You're not sinning if you're fishing unless you're out fishing right now. You should be here. I don't, even if you're watching online and you're out fishing in the boat, you should have been here. But anyhow. Anyhow. So Peter went back to something that was comfortable. It was something he could escape into. How many times have we witnessed this in our own life or in the life of someone else? Shame and guilt come along, and we go straight into escape mode. We go back to what we knew, even if that thing brought chains of bondage, even if that thing we know is is not something that we should do, even if we know that thing that we escape into is sin. Jesus had found Peter originally while Peter was fishing. It's where he called him to follow him. And now here in this story, Jesus comes to him again while he's out fishing, and he offers him a new start. He offers him a chance to begin again. Jesus invites him in to have a meal. Remember, last week we talked about it. A meal is a place where our masks can come down. So so Jesus invites him to have a meal. He's offering space for, for restoration to happen by doing that. But Jesus not only provided space for uh, restoration, he provided opportunity. He asked the question, do you love me? He asked the question, and he gives opportunity for response. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, Peter, I can't believe what you did. 
He didn't, he didn't go off saying, Peter or Simon, son of Jonah, what in the world were you thinking? He simply asked the only question that matters. Peter, do you love me? Peter abandoned Jesus in Jesus' greatest hour of need. Now, we don't know what the, the private conversation Jesus had with Peter that was private, but we know what the public one looked like. And it wasn't, Simon, son of Jonah, you're a loser. He didn't say, you left me when I needed you most. No, that's the stuff of Facebook. We want to tell the world how someone hurt our feelings. How many relationships could maybe be restored if we simply stopped trying to rehash the mistakes of the past in public? How many relationships could be restored if we just stopped posting all over the internet, I can't believe what you did to me? Maybe a little space would be created. Relationships oftentimes aren't restored because we don't give space for restoration. In our own lives, how many relationships could be restored if we simply provided an opportunity? Oh, I know, you're going to say, but Pastor Todd, you don't know how many times they hurt me. You don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. I don't know. Did they leave you while you were being spit upon, mocked? punched? Maybe they did. Maybe they did. But let me ask you this. Did they leave you while you were receiving 39 lashes? Did they leave you as you were stripped and the crown of thorns were pressed down upon your head? Did they leave you as you hung Did they abandon you as you were placed behind a stone? Don't feel bad. Listen, you're not the only one who, who maybe has said, but do you know what they did to me? Peter basically asked the same question. He said, Lord, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? <laughs> the Lord said, oh, Peter, 70 times seven. Don't try to do the math. He's not saying 490. He's saying again and again and again and again and again. Oh, I get the fact maybe you have made room time and time again. And they've said no. Here's a thought, though. We're entering into Thanksgiving season. Wouldn't it be great to extend an invitation one more time? What could this Thanksgiving look like if a broken relationship could be restored? What would it look like if you could maybe celebrate Thanksgiving together once again? If the Holy Spirit is prompting someone upon your heart this morning, 
Don't let another Thanksgiving pass. Pick up the phone today. Knock on a door today. And by all means, stop posting on the internet about how they hurt you today. Jesus, after being abandoned, prepared the hot coals and called out to those who had abandoned him. He cooked for them, and then he provided opportunity for restoration. Maybe this morning, maybe you don't have an earthly relationship that's in need of restoring. Maybe you're like I was some 20-some years ago. And you need your relationship with God restored. Maybe this morning you're in a place where you've allowed life, where you've allowed shame, where you've allowed guilt, where you've allowed regret to put space or a wedge between you and the Father. I'm here to tell you today, just like he met Peter back on that beach, he's ready to meet you right where you are. Even if you slip back into the things of comfort, the things that you know aren't right, you know those things only bring separation. And today, maybe you're feeling like I did, and you're wondering, God, is that restoration even possible? Would you even invite me back? Can I tell you that's a lie that the enemy's trying to whisper in your don't believe it. I can tell you, he's inviting you back today. I can tell you this. 20 years ago, I was going through the motion of religion with no relationship. I sat in the back of that church hoping the pastor would say, is there anyone here today? Is there anyone here today who would have said, who would say that they have walked away from the relationship they once knew. Again, not knowing if, re if restoration was even possible, I sat there. And I can tell you this, with zero doubt, as the tears begin to stream down my face, I knew that the Father welcomed me with open arms. And I knew in that moment I was restored. And I'm here to tell you today that the Father, He is saying the same thing to you. He's saying to you, I never left you. I never left you. He's saying to you today, there's a place at His table. He served up His very best. He gave His Son. Our table today are these altars. And I can tell you this, there's a place of restoration available to you. Church, he's calling to you this morning. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And his question to you today is the same question he asked Peter. Simply this, do you love me? Let's pray.